Hope we're all enjoying our beautiful autumn weather. Because we didn't have any summer. So maybe this will carry on right through to June, July. The seasons are crazy. Yeah. Anyway, it's a joy to be with you again this morning um, and to share something that's very, very dear to my heart. Which, uh, But uh, in a couple of weeks, Mary and I, well, less than about 10 days, Mary and I are back to Asia and we'll be uh, away for about three weeks. So we're going to miss the Easter egg um, scramble. But we'll be taking Easter eggs with us, apparently, because um, our family in Australia on the way back, they, they just can't get the marshmallow ones over there. And they really miss it. It depends what you grew up with, eh, as to what you really miss about a particular time or festival such as Easter. So um, I hope they don't melt before we get there. Or they could even disappear. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> We're living in Asia. Uh, a lady um, in Whangarei Church up there, she used to write these little bookmarks and uh, send them to missionaries all over the world. So I've got about 10 of them in my Bible here, and, uh, depending on the page, but it was just such a blessing, and she always put a scripture on it. So, uh, yeah, all kinds of ministries to all kinds of people. It's really much appreciated. This morning I want to talk about finishing the task, and um, it's to do with, obviously, missions, and it's just something that uh, in the last few days and weeks. Uh, we've interacted with people. Uh, we're talking about what's, got, what's God doing in New Zealand or what needs to happen in New Zealand. I think we all can see areas of improvement. But uh, also, um, you know, the world's been hit by COVID and it's like three years we've been all messed up. And But people possibly are not aware there has tr been tremendous growth in the kingdom of God, even through COVID. Um, but we don't get to hear that because the headlines are more about our situation, our country, our politics, uh, our economy, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, nothing's way, God doesn't waste any opportunity. And, uh, and so uh, we're finding that, uh, you know, things are happening in such a way that um, we just need to keep our eyes open and let the Holy Spirit speak to our hearts. Otherwise, we could miss what he's doing. So I'm just going to start reading by uh, some verses from uh, Romans 15. The first slide's up there. Um, and uh, verse 20, this is Paul, the apostle speaking. He said, it's always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I will not be building on someone else's foundation. Then down to verse 23, he says, now that there is no more room, no more place for me to work in these regions. And since I have been longing for many years to see you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to visit you while passing through and to have you assist me on my journey there after I've enjoyed your company for a while. Now, however, I'm on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the saints there for Macedonia and Acacia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor amongst the saints in Jerusalem. Father, we just open our hearts to your word. We, we read your word and uh, you know, we don't always take it in or, Father, we've seen something again and again, but we haven't really caught what the purpose of it is. And I just pray today, Lord, if there's something we need to catch, then give us the ability, I pray, Holy Spirit, to catch it. We want to go away and say, Lord, really spoke to my heart. 
And Lord, then we will seek your face to say, what do we do with what you have spoken to us? For Lord, we just want to be a people that are relevant, effective, and available, and obedient. And we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. I think some of us, when we read scripture, we kind of liken ourselves or we kind of imagine, uh, identify ourselves with maybe a particular apostle or disciple Jesus had. And then someone comes along like Paul. And there's no way that I've envied anything about his life. You know, I have never wanted to say, oh, I wished I was like Paul and that what he... And Jesus, when he had that encounter with Jesus, you know, on the road to uh, Damascus, it was like the Lord said uh, he's, uh, to Ananias who came and had to pray for him, uh, Paul's going to have to learn what it is to suffer for me. Isn't that a great prophecy over you when you first come to the Lord? You're going to have to learn how to suffer for me. And it's like, is anyone else up there? You know, you, and so here's Paul. Uh, he, he's just had this incredible capacity to serve God and, uh, and, you know, there's all sorts of things that have happened to him. But here he is in Corinth. And he's writing that he wants to go to Spain. But also, on the way to Spain, I want to stop off in Rome and visit some new believers there in Rome. And then, but also, I need to drop off an offering to the poor in Jerusalem. These are all very, very geographically separated, uh, di- you know, Courier companies didn't operate back in those days, no flights. You, you had to do the hard yards. And so here he is wanting to sort of do three specific things that are still very irrelevant today. And I want to look at these three areas of what these, if you like, the passions of Paul that he had for getting the gospel and the love of God to people. And the first is the unreached. And so he's, he's writing from Greece that he wants to go to Spain. Spain was unreached. And he had this personal ambition. God's put it in his heart to go somewhere where he's never been before to a people that he doesn't really know too much about, but he knows they exist and they need Jesus. And he says, I want to preach the gospel where Christ was not known. You know, uh, during COVID and all the events, the the climatic events, the earthquakes and all the things that have taken place and the famines, I mean, Somalia and places like that. And uh, there's so many countries in North Africa where people are just starving incredibly. And, uh, but COVID gets the world attention as do wars, et cetera, et cetera. And so people jump to the conclusion, the Lord must be coming soon, eh? You know, like he's got to be coming soon. And I I really hope he does. But my Bible also says things are going to get worse before he he comes. And so these things can be part of that um, preparation, if you like, for the return of the Lord. But there's one verse that we've always used in world outreach as a sort of a yardstick as to how how could we somehow identify how we're doing in God's timetable for the return of Jesus. And it's Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations or all ethne, and then the end will come. So that's pretty clear. When this happens, the end will come. 
And so today I hope to help you identify just how close we could be based on getting the gospel to all ethne. And it starts with the unreached. I was recently looking at a survey online by the, the Barna organization in America, which is well known. Uh, it mainly focuses on America and American Christians and churches and what's going on, etc. But it also identifies things happening overseas from time to time. But once it's just one bit of information stood out from this survey about American Christians that possibly we could say there's some similarities between Americans and Australians and Kiwis and South African Christians. You know, we're, we've all been around a long time and uh, we all go to church. So church is a, is a common occurrence for a lot of us who were raised in church environments. But the Barna surveys identified that only 9% of Christians in America have a worldview. 9%. So 9% possibly know or are looking for what's God doing globally. 90% or thereabouts wouldn't have a clue. Don't even know. Maybe not even interested or don't think why they should be. And yet today, there's more worship of Jesus Christ globally today than ever, ever, ever before. There's more people following Jesus today, becoming followers of Jesus today, ever than in human history before. And the fulfillment of the Great Commission, getting the gospel to all ethne, is linked to the return of Jesus Christ, Matthew 24, 14. And so when Jesus comes back, it's mission accomplished. Every tongue, every tribe, every language group is going to have had an opportunity to hear and embrace the Lord. So very quickly, I want to just go through these three ministries that Paul wanted to be involved in. And the first one, of course, is the UPGs. We call them UPGs, abbreviation, Unreached People Groups. First of all, there are something like 17,000 language groups worldwide, globally. I only really speak one of them. I know family members, sons married, a young lady from Asia. She's got five languages, just speaks it. I worked for a Dutchman uh, back in the day, and uh, he learned and spoke fluent Japanese. He dreamt in Japanese. And when he counts, he counted in Japanese, but he's Dutch. And he likes really, really black, dark coffee. You know, it was just a, it was a cross-cultural experience working with Bill. He was, he was something else, just an amazing guy. Um, but here we are with UPGs and there are something like just under 7,000 what we call unreached people groups today where less than 2% of them are Christians. So they only got 2% of them being Christians and those Christians are not meeting in a Mokoroa in a gathering like this, they are scattered. So they're identified, possibly in the universities. Maybe they've moved into the cities to get work and one or two become Christians. And so, in a sense, there's no community of them, 
but it's estimated there's at least 6,000 people groups today that have at least 2% Christian in them. And so they're, they're categorized by all these mission groups around the world as being part of the unreached people group. But recently we also discovered there's another term given to that called the unengaged unreached people groups. And that means there's no believers, there's no church, there's no missionaries, between somewhere between 150 to 160 major ethnic groups around the world today. For some reason, they have never, ever been engaged and no known believer among them. And Jesus says before he comes back, they have to be reached. So what's our role? We'll look at that in a moment. The second slide, if you can put that up, thank you, is this is put together by Christianity Today, a very reputable uh, ministry of the world's 50 largest unreached people groups, meaning those that have got 2% or less uh, Christians among them. They comprise close to 1.5 billion people. Hard to relate to that sort of number, isn't it? Each of them at least are 10 million in number. Twice the population of New Zealand would be the smallest. And some of them are on our doorstep in Indonesia and other nations not too far away. The last statistic up there says 80% of them have never met a Christian. Wouldn't know what a Christian is because never met one. And so these are real people. For some reason, they haven't really been engaged at the level that we would all hope for. And there's still a huge number of them to be reached. And yet, with all the momentum and emphasis and encouragement taking place in the body of Christ today, here's two more statistics to give you encouragement that by 2025, Every unreached people group will have some level of engagement with Jesus Christ in two years' time. In some cultures, people would say, hallelujah, preach it, brother. You know, but we're Kiwis. Um, but, you know, there is encouragement within two years. All that earlier information I sent you said to us, it is going to be, there is such momentum out here in the body of Christ. There's more unity in missions today than possibly amongst the body of Christ in our own countries. But when you get out on a field that's foreign to you and you get to mix and mingle with people from other cultures and other organizations, you're sort of often pulling together. You're borrowing from one another. You're doing some joint ventures together. And there's a heap of organizations today that are saying, what do we see God doing and what could we add to what he's doing by the presence of his Holy Spirit? So that first statistic, by 2025, every unreached people group will have a level of engagement. Some, the gospel will be among them within two years. And here's another interesting one. By, in 10 years' time, 2033, Every language group, all 17,000 worldwide languages will have at least a New Testament in their heart language. 
I've mixed with people that do speak half a dozen languages. And often in countries like, even like uh, the Philippines, where we first started, uh, every, you know, you go to all these different islands in the Philippines and, and you know, they're speaking Ilocano, Olongo, Cebuano, and, and all these different languages. And yet the government says all education from the north to the south, the east to the west has to be in Tagalog. So whether they like it or not, they have to learn Tagalog, but they love the mother tongue. They're very protective of their mother tongue. And possibly if they go to another area, they might have to learn Olongo or Ilocano or whatever, whatever other languages there are. And so we're finding that they want the Bible in their mother tongue. When we were first in the southern Philippines, we would go into the towns and the villages to speak at various things. And the people are very hospitable. Hosts were great. And then uh, the pastor would get up to speak and he would read a scripture. And here were a lot of illiterate people, uneducated, some of them. And here he is preaching King James English. Because there's no word in his heart language at that time. Well, that's changed dramatically in the Philippines today. It's fantastic how the word of God has been translated in so many different of the dialects, etc. And China, of course. Oh, I've mixed with so many Chinese over the years and they're all very proud of their particular mother tongue. And yet in China, Mandarin is the commercial language and everyone has to learn it if you want to go anywhere in education. And so the gospel is going to be in every language in 10 years' time. That's the momentum that's going on. And I know some organizations saying we're going to take responsibility of helping to translate 30 different languages into the New Testament. And 2033 is the goal. There can be many reasons why so many unreached people still exist today. They can be historical, political, religious fears, misunderstanding, etc. And the thing is, they are reachable, but we've just got to say, we here in New Zealand, we here in Tauranga, if we're going to par partner with what God is doing, because if we don't, you get left behind, and we're, we're involved in things that were good 10 years ago, but they need to be revisited. Our strategies 10 years ago are not necessarily relevant today, Therefore, what's God doing today that we need to adjust to? Otherwise, we'll just keep doing the same old, same old, and we'll just get the same old results. But I think we all want multiplication results. We want to see a multiplication of our prayers, of our resources as we give, of our sending people out. We want them to, we want them to come back and say, look what the Lord did. And it's encouraging when people do go out. So we want to find right strategies, right models of ministry, and right people. So I just want to, hi, so, you know, I'm talking about reaching these people. So how do they get reached? And so the next slide identifies, do you like the guy with the, the moustache before? It's a real healthy one. Anyway, all these photos I've got are, are of different cultures that just, just are so great when you get among these people, all their way they dress and their, their different um, way in which they live life and their food too. It's fantastic. Anyway, 
unreached people group strategies. Here are about six, one, two, three, four, five, six different strategies that have worked and continue to work well in the last 10 years. Near neighbors. Near neighbor is, is a group of people like, um, well, uh, something the church is familiar with in uh, Manipur in Northeast India and, uh, and City Church partners with a ministry up there that we've been involved with for about 30 years now. And uh, these guys recognize there's a people group not too far from them called the Meitei. And uh, so they would say, as they've been brought into training and become aware that they too should be missionaries. This has been a big weakness of Western missions over the years. It's like we go to the country to do the work and we use the local people to be our shadows, to just follow behind, to help, to you know, just carry our bags and, and never really ever preach the gospel to them in a way that, hey, you guys should do what we're doing. And this is how you could do it. So 30 years or more now, there's been that momentum where the Western churches are going in and saying, let's train up people that live nearby to an unreached people group. And in Northeast India, there's a lot of Christians up there. William Carey used to go up there to cool off in the summertime because it's elevated and it's a lovely part of the country. And, and so there's a lot of Christians in Northeast India, and yet there's still a lot of unreached people groups. So why don't we train the near neighbors to engage with these people? Well, they're doing that. I remember speaking at a conference up in Northeast India once, and I, on the last, my last message on the last day, I decided not to get into what I've been preaching before, but just to throw out a net and say to them, hey, there's opportunities in northwest India amongst a whole bunch of people in Jammu Kashmir who don't know about Jesus Christ and presented those people groups to these people in northeast India and uh, shared some opportunities and we're looking for people who would be willing to go. And I think we had about 400 at that conference and over 100 of them came out the front at the end and says, we're willing to go. Help us. Train us, you know, walk with us. We never knew that we should go. We thought it'd be guys like you that would go. And so the church in many countries has woken up and we've got to know how to partner with that. So send the near neighbours, not always the Western foreigner. Families and homes. Homes are often places of, of uh, worship of idolatry and you go into some of these homes and you just see all the fetishes and all the idols, etc., etc. When people become Christian, you have a house cleaning. But in some places, you don't even have to tell them to do that. The Holy Spirit says, get rid of this stuff. And so often in villages, they're having bonfires and burning all their little fetishes they carry around their ankles and uh, ankles and wrists and and uh, idols they have in their homes, et cetera, et cetera, because people become aware as the Holy Spirit turns up the light of his presence, this is not good. This is darkness. And it's great when he goes ahead and does all that and you don't have to preach about it. Discipleship and storytelling. We've got to learn to tell stories. We're all good storytellers, but we've got to learn to tell Bible stories in a way that, you know, they just, like a kid would be listening and, oh, you know, 
you know, is Robin Hood going to make it? You know, and uh, you know how you how you can tell a story and it, you, you're building it up before they turn the lights out and say to the kids, "Go to sleep," and they go to sleep and they're just wired, you know, because you've just told them a like a, an exciting story. Um, but these people are visual learners. They are visual learners. They're not used to reading. They're not used to reading something and then deciphering it. So you've got to tell stories. And so some of us, we could learn to become storytellers and disciple makers. Children are one of the most effective, if not possibly the best effective group to work with in any unreached people group culture. And we've got to recognize today that uh, they need to be reached, children, because they're just going to be brought up. And I've met so many Muslims and Buddhists and Hindus, et cetera, kids, young kids, that they, they've learned what we teach our children, hopefully at home, about Christianity. They, they just inherit it. And yet when they hear a story about Jesus Christ, and I'm thinking of the Good News team in Thailand, they go to schools where they have an opportunity because it's, in Thailand, the government encourages all religions to become known through the school system. That everybody should be aware of, you know, because they don't feel a threat from it. Just become aware of it. And so a great talented team in Bangkok go into schools. And I just got a report the other day. Um, in the last six months, they've been to 500 schools. And the, the assemblies are given to them. The teachers line the walls at the back. And the team, the Thai team, through dance, puppets, muppets, drama, all kinds of things, they present the gospel of Jesus Christ. And at the end of it, they say to the kids, you want a magazine? And the back of the magazine's a correspondence lesson, number one, about Jesus. And they got 50 sign up in one school that really encouraged their heart. And, and they've got something like uh, 120,000 kids on their books today that have signed up and done the correspondence course. And they hide Jesus in their hearts, some of them, until they get to an age like 16, 17, 18, when they're not afraid to tell their parents that Jesus Christ is in my heart. Children are the most receptive age to work with. And so investing in children, as small as our Sunday school may be, it's, it's the future. It's the future of letting these kids know, as it is in any other culture. Community development. Everybody wants to have fresh drinking water. Everybody wants to be able to grow their crops and be able to come up with irrigation systems. And so a lot of our people, when they go into an unreached people group, they don't go in and say, hey, we want to tell you about Jesus. They identify what their weakness could be in their community and say, could we build you some irrigation? Could we build you a community center for your young people? I remember uh, a Philippine, one of our Filipino missionaries, Danny and Ruby, and uh, they were working in Northwest Africa amongst the Fulani. The Fulani was one of the largest, is still one of the largest nomadic people groups in Northwest Africa. They, they are found in many of the Northwest African countries, not just Burkina Faso, where Danny and Ruby were. Anyway, they wanted to go with them, been to the village. They recognized a lot of young people and they thought if they could put a basketball hoop, if they could um, make a little soccer field, they could come out and just start playing with the kids and send a team out to play with the kids. Well, they went out on this particular day. Now, these are uh, Muslim background people 
And um, there is some protocol that you have to follow when you want to go and meet with the village elders, etc. And so Danny and Ruby arrived and, and uh, they passed word back to Danny that Ruby couldn't come into the building. It, the men will sit down and talk and hear what Danny had to say. But Ruby needed to occupy her time. She had to go somewhere else. So she's in the village and she's walking around smiling as she does to all these people coming by and she came to a, a tree and there was a woman chained to the tree and her clothes were just rags and she had eyes like you know she was, she wasn't there and uh, Ruby was drawn to this lady and she just kept saying hello you know she spoke she spoke um, uh, part of the di- local dialect my name is Ruby Jesus loves you there was just no reaction she got closer and closer to eventually she just kept saying, my name's Ruby. Jesus loves you. And this woman just stood there. She didn't manifest or anything like that. She was just standing. And so Ruby put her arms around her and held her, hugged her, and just kept telling her, Jesus loves you, and asking Jesus to bless her. Then she heard her name being called Ruby, and Danny had finished his meeting, and um, there was time to go home. She left the lady, got in the car with Danny, and uh, they, Danny said, We're, they're inviting us to come back in a month's time to hear their verdict, whether or not they'll accept our offer to come into the community and help with community development. They went back a month later. This time, Ruby's invited into the meeting. They're sitting on the floor, they're talking, and then uh, Ruby asks to one of the elders, excuse me, sir, when I came in here last time, there was a woman tied to a tree. She's not there anymore. Where is she? And they talked among themselves and then they carried on talking and someone went out and someone came back later on with a husband and wife. And the woman stood there and Ruby looked at the lady and says, that's her. She was in beautiful clothes, local clothes. Her eyes were clear. Her hair wasn't a mess. There was no saliva running down her face. She was back in her right mind. And the village had seen Ruby put her arms around that lady and hug her. They didn't know what she said. The lady couldn't even tell what was said to her. But they saw that action and they said, we would love to have you come into our community and work with our young people. Opened up a whole village. You see, these are ways where only God sets up. And then there's a humanitarian and there's no end to that. One thing we're always going to have is the poor. The poor, Jesus says, you're going to have with you all the time. The thing is, we don't harden our hearts when we're overwhelmed with, where do I give? What could I help? You know, I I don't know what to do. Some of us possibly felt a bit helpless about what to do about Hawke's Bay and and, um, Poverty Bay and all the problems down there. And the easiest thing is to send money. But a lot of people sent money and they sort of said, there's got to be something else I can do. And that's, that's something that God puts in our hearts to do. But the fact is, humanitarian needs are going to increase. Don't let our hearts become like stone. Let the Holy Spirit speak to us. Second group of people Paul wanted to reach was the newly reached. He wanted to go to Spain. He's in Greece. But I want to go and stop off in Rome and hang out with some new believers. It was a priority. I want to nurture them. 
I want to speak into their lives. Because God made it very clear, the mandate for the church, you and I, is go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. Well, the thing is, too, we've got to teach the local people how to make disciples. I've been in churches where the senior pastor, you know, he's 90 years of age, shuffling out to the podium. There's a church that possibly could seat 3,000. There's only 100 there on a Sunday morning. Something's wrong, you can tell. You don't need a word of knowledge. And then his wife comes behind him. He's, she's five years younger. If he goes, she's going to take over. And yet there's some stunning young men and women amongst the hundred who've hung in there who come to me afterwards and say, you know, like, Brother John, can you talk to the pastor? You know, we love him, we respect him, he pioneered the work, but, you know, we want to help them in the ministry. We don't want to take the ministry from them. We will honor them. But some people don't know how to let go. And it's a weakness, unfortunately, in the church. Globally, and I'm going to speak in a church in a couple of weeks' time in Singapore, and it's just gone through some major challenges because the senior pastor, who we had a lot to do with, just couldn't let it go when health, his poor health started affecting him. He couldn't let it go. The church declined, declined. So we've got to recognize investing in leaders and leadership principles, etc., is so incredibly important. Remember this, in many developing nations today, two out of three leaders have had no formal seminary or Bible school training. And yet, they're running thriving churches. Doctors, lawyers, school teachers, dentists, running churches because... They prayed for the sick and the sick got healed and people were looking for somebody to teach them the word of God and there was no one available in their area. And so the word of God is, you know, grew and their meetings, numbers grew and they now have Sunday church or weekend church. On-the-job training is something that we have to adjust to that a lot of our people that are near neighbors that need to be trained, they've also got a day job. And so we've got to make the most of nights. We might be sitting around twiddling our thumbs a bit during the daytime, waiting for them to come home from work so we can spend time investing in them. We've got to just adjust in order to fit in with what needs to happen. And we've got to teach them how to hear the voice of God. That's the big one. Because we, we're not going to be there all the time to hear, to possibly share insights of scriptures that we have revelation of. So we use the term SOT. What's the scripture saying? So, you know, when you get to your little discipleship group together, you sit on the floor and you read the same scriptures. And everybody reads out loud the same scriptures. And then we go around, what's it saying to you? It could be a parable or something. And so they all have to answer. Some get it right, some don't. But the fact is, when they, the ones who don't hear through their friends who got it right, Ah, oh, okay, I see that. So what's it saying? And the second challenge is, what do I need to obey with what it's telling me? And the third one is, who do I go and tell after I've now figured out what it is? And that telling is a accountability because the time we sit down next time and talk to them, who did you go and tell since our last meeting? Accountability is something that is very, very important to encourage people to follow through.
So slide four is on uh, train the trainers. Still a huge need to train, mentor, coach, and help deploy people, new believers into majority world situations. And so in world outreach, when I've been involved since um, last century, and uh, we're in our 90th anniversary year as an organization, and I say when I took over as director, I think we were like 70, 30%, 30% non-Western, 70% Western in our personnel numbers. Today it's close to 60, 40, 60% non-Western, 40% Western. And the Western component is having to make adjustments to what they used to do in order to be relevant to what needs to happen today. And so we need to be relevant as well. So training the trainers is very important. A lot of online training today. When we lived in the Philippines, I used to, I worked in a newspaper for some years before I went into ministry. And um, I found that was very helpful in the Philippines because what was lacking was the, the word of God in different languages. And so we used to print a tabloid newspaper of teaching and training pr- materials for all the different language groups in the southern central Philippines and circulated it. But today you can go online. This thing called Google knows everything. And uh, you can go on and you can find information. You can look up things in your own language. It's getting better and better. And finally, the underprivileged. Paul says, I want to go to Spain. I want to hang out with new believers and mentor them and invest in them in Rome. But I also want to deliver this offering from two groups in Greece who wanted to give back to Jerusalem and the work of God there, and in particular, the poor. And as I said at the beginning, we've got to make sure that our hearts don't become like stone. We may not be able to give like we used to. It could be, you know, we could be gold card members today and we don't have the resources, and yet, We still have 24 hours a day. We need to be praying. I'm saying to Mary, I'm having to write more and more things down as I learn more and more of who to pray for. My prayer list is getting longer in the sense because the needs don't go away. But at the same time, the Lord does pull on our heartstrings to to give. In Matthew 25, of course, you know, Jesus is talking to them about giving. And they said, "When when did we give to the poor? And he says, well, when you, when do we give to you? And uh, he said, well, when you gave to that person, you're giving to me. That's how he looks on our giving. When we don't have, no one else needs to know about it, but he does. So concern for the poor is at the heart of the gospel. Paul put his UPG burden on the back burner for a, for a moment so he could take a relief project of compassion and mercy to the people in Jerusalem. Let's keep our hearts soft because we're going to hear more and more stuff that's happening. Climatic issues, maybe, environmental issues, political issues, tragedies. I can prophesy today there will be a massive flood in Bangladesh this year. It happens every year. I can guarantee there's going to be major famine in Mozambique this year. It always happens because nobody's investing in the infrastructure. 
of either country and other countries. And so we see these things, and after a while the media stop telling us about them because, you know, people get bored with it. But it's real, and the people on the ground there are real. And by sharing love with them and in practical ways, they respond. I remember when, uh, just before I came back, we, we came back to New Zealand just a few years earlier, there had been a massive typhoon went right through the central, central uh, Luzon. And, uh, you know, coconut trees are everywhere in the Philippines and they were just lying down. They were just blowing down and, and uh, homes were destroyed and oh, fishing boats, et cetera, all destroyed. And so we were one of many, many organizations that just said, we've got to do something. And so our team actually out of Australia um, took off and grabbed a whole bunch of people and said, let's go over there and find out what's the best way to help them. And in the end, we, what they said we saw was a whole bunch of fathers and capable men sitting on logs or trees that had blown down and they had nothing in their hands they could do to help their families to get back into shelter. And so the word got to us in Singapore was, can we get some money to buy some tools, to put the tools in the hands of these men, to give them some dignity, to give them some sense of, I, can, I want to look after my family and help them come and build rather than just having Western teams coming in and doing all the, you know, the hammering, et cetera, et cetera. We just got to be sensitive to the local people as to how best we could help them and give them that pride back again to say, you know, I did my best to help my family. And so a lot of fishing boats got built and homes got, and often our arrangement is we don't put the walls up, but we commit to the roof. So, um, you know, they've got to have a part in the whole thing as well. But just find ways, but the underprivileged is going to be with us till Jesus comes. A couple of scriptures. Proverbs 19, 17. He who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord. And he will reward him for what he has done. He who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord. And he will reward him for what he has done. Proverbs 28, 27. He who gives to the poor will lack nothing. But he who closes his eyes to them receives many curses. We've been involved in ministries that have rescued children from vice, and slavery and continue to do so. And you keep hearing stories of children being taken from villages and taken into the cities like Bangkok, promise, promising the parents, we'll look after your children, we'll give them work and we'll send the money home. And I can still remember very clearly one of our Kiwi workers in, in Bangkok coming to me once and she said, John, We've got to do something. We went up to a village with our Thai team and we found out that uh, before we arrived, some scouts from the city had come up and had come upon our village and saw a lot of young people there. And they said to the elders that we will, we will promise your young people work. We'll take, give them work down there and we'll send the money back to you uh, every month from what they earn. And uh, we'll look after them. 
And uh, the Filipinos, sorry, the Thais on our team got really irate and they just said, no, no, no. Tried to please the elders, say, listen, give us two weeks, give us two weeks and we will find a way to come in and help with some community programs to help grow food, to help your income, etc. And so our team went back two weeks later, but by that time the scouts had come and gone. And they looked around the village and there were no children under uh, over five years of age. The primary age kids had all been taken away. It was about 15, 16 of them, just in a small village. And it reminded our team, they said, we've been into some of the restaurants and, and our ties have gone, been able to get back into the kitchen and there are children chained to the benches in the kitchen where they just wash dishes all day and they sleep under the bench. That's their lot. The better looking ones are sent to some red light districts and it's just sick, sick, sick. But the fact is, friends, they can be rescued. They can be helped. And we've got to. We've got to let God give us a heart of flesh in such a way that we just say, well, nothing to do with me. It's out of sight, out of mind, or it's not my responsibility. It's we, the body of Christ, know the heart of Jesus. We hear his word again and again and again. And we've got to say, Lord, what more could I be doing that I'm not doing in order to be relevant and effective in whatever time you've given me here on earth? Just quickly closing, just a few, a couple of weeks ago, we were mixing with some other mission-minded people and uh, one guy was telling us about Generation Z. I don't, I don't know what happens after Generation Z. You know, we have to go back to Generation A again, or is it Z plus and plus plus, and I don't know how to do it. But anyway, you know, we've heard, gener you've heard Baby Boomer, we've heard, you know, uh, uh, gen, gen X, Gen Y, but this is Generation Z, and it's apparently somewhere in the teens to early 20s thereabouts, and we've got two grandchildren that fall in that category. And he was saying things that just rang a light because this, I, it's almost like I'm hearing my grandchildren say the same thing. They hate the, they hate the prosperity gospel. They want to give their lives for something that's worth dying for. This is Generation Z. I want to give my life to something that's worth dying for. We're not into disco lights or fog machines. We want the presence of God in our meetings. We want Jesus in our homes. This is obviously Generation Z. These are Christian Generation Zs. But they don't want to just play church. And one of these guys said to me or communicated to me that he said, I've just been to a gathering in Auckland of a bunch of Kiwi ministries of youth, they all came together in Auckland, not every ministry, but quite a lot of them came together. And he said, and uh, we got talking about Generation Z. We don't want to ruin Generation Z because there's a freshness about them. There is an excitement about them. And they're found in churches all over New Zealand, Generation Z, but they're looking for the real thing. And he said, and there is a momentum to collaborate together by the end of November 2024, They've come up with this ministry called The Send. And we're going to help, help each other 
prepare a whole bunch of Generation Z believers around New Zealand to go out overseas in November 2024. We don't know if it's going to be 20, 100, 1,000, but the, he said there was just absolute buy-in that young people want to change the world for Jesus Christ. And we've got to encourage that. And we've got to work with them. Mary's almost got our cup of tea ready. So it's time to finish. Let me pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, that uh, we, we have a worldview. We're in a, a church. We're in an environment. We, we mix and mingle with people that are going out and coming back. And, and while we may not be called to go, we're still called. So help us to find what our role is in what you're doing globally today. We don't want to look back and say, oh, I've wasted it. I've lost, wasted time. We've all wasted time, Lord, but you're the redeemer of lost time. And we just pray, oh God, that whatever you lead us into, there will be a multiplication effect. And Father, I pray that we will grow in faith to believe for things we haven't yet done. We will grow in faith to say, I hear the voice of the Lord and I'm going to obey. Holy Spirit, take charge of our lives, I pray. We just don't want to miss these, this particular decade of time of what you're going to do globally because it's going to be phenomenal and we want to be part of it. We want our prayers to hit the mark. Help us to get information to know how to pray effectively. And Lord, I just pray that we'll always have an open hand, Lord, and an open heart. And we'll lend you our hands to pray for the sick. We'll lend you our feet to go to places, go to homes, go and find somebody that we can just put your arms around them on our behalf or our We'll put our arms around them on your behalf to encourage them. We just want to be effective for you. We don't want the limelight. We don't want to say, hey, look what I'm doing. But Father, we just want to be relevant and effective. Help us, Holy Spirit, I pray. In Jesus' name. If anyone here this morning, it wasn't a message on healing or anything like that but if uh, first of all if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ please don't go from this place without asking or coming up for prayer or asking for prayer all of us who have invited him into our lives I tell you we are totally different we are radically different and we're still changing we ain't changed we ain't finished he's not finished with us yet the other one is we believe in healing. We can't heal, but Jesus can. He lives in us. His presence is on us and with us. And many of us have laid hands on the sick and they have been healed. And we will continue to do so because that's what he asks of us. Can I borrow your hand? Can I borrow your voice? And so don't go from this place uh, un with your needs unmet. But uh, let us go from this place today saying, I'm going to look for opportunities to lay hands on the sick.
to pray for them, encourage them, and to share my faith in Jesus' name.